and welcome to Sounds Of, a podcast created by Drum and Brass with the support of Arts Council England, in which we explore the impact of art and music on our lives. Drum and Brass is a community interest company whose mission is to do music differently. On March 26th, we're holding a day of workshops, discussions and networking at Curve Theatre in Leicester called Doing Music Differently. Through this event, we aim to bring together the ideas and energy of musicians, educators and community groups to tackle the lack of diversity in the UK's orchestras, bands and ensembles. In this episode, John Sinclair talks to Kiz, a trauma-informed hip-hop therapy facilitator who is running a workshop at the Doing Music Differently conference. Kiz teaches people to use tools to boost their mood and leave them with a creative buzz. Well, Kiz, uh, nice to talk to you. Um, first of all, excited about going to the Curve for this conference? Yes, looking like a good programme. I'm really happy to be included. And how did that come about? How did they find you? So I was presenting at the University of West England at a conference on otherness and intersectionality. And I was invited to that conference because I'd been talking to their music therapy department for some time about the fact that I can't find anywhere to do a PhD in the UK or in the world on hip hop therapy. And that's an area that I've been studying and researching for about 10 years now. So I'm now working in the field. Um, But I really wanted to take my MSc thesis to the next level, to a PhD. So In my conversations with Yui, we established that I might do a joint scholarship with them and with the University of Westminster and have two supervisors across two departments because the expertise were going to be like a good blend. And then at that conference, Davina was present and I introduced myself to her. We got chatting and then she told me about this fantastic conference that She was involved in organising, so here I am. Well, I I know you do podcasts. I was listening to some of the first one. It was interesting that one of your uh, contributors said you saw the word hip-hop and thought immediately, I want to get involved with that. Is that kind of what you found a little bit? Um, It's been a very mixed bag. I have had quite a number of people wonder what on earth I'm doing with hip-hop in the well-being space because they might have seen a very mainstream offering where there's women who are scantily clad and there's swearing and violence. But that is just a surface level appearance of um, of a, a worldwide folk art. So there's many layers that we're not exposed to. And I think that those who have been brought up with the culture from a young age in the 70s or who came to it maybe a bit later on and then sort of fell in love with the older sort of older school variety. I think they understand it as something that is life-giving and life-enhancing. And the number of people that I've heard say hip-hop saved my life, I can't even count. But I haven't heard anybody else say rock and roll saved my life or poetry saved my life or jazz saved my life. So there's something very special about the form that lends itself to um, healing, personal growth and personal development. 
yeah, it's hip hop heels. That's kind of your mantra a little bit, isn't it? Yeah, and the, the heels came about because I was thinking about a name and I was thinking, well, what what am I doing with hip hop? What what does it do for me? And then I thought about, well, it's about health, it's about education. And then I thought, well, I'm using it in arts and I'm using it with life skills. So it became an acronym, health, education, arts and life skills are the letters that form HEALS. So. And uh, you're very interested in people with mental health problems. Uh, I, I think on the first podcast you did, you talked about uh, bumping into to people in the streets and having to go home and write poetry about it and so on. But obviously that's an area that you you kind of feel that you've got to do something about, I think. Yeah, it's because I've experienced poor mental health myself, but it was never picked up by the countless professionals that I work with. And I found out later that people who are from um, an Asian or a black or an ethnic minority background have similar experiences to me. It's common and it's normal for people not to get treatment because they haven't been diagnosed or they haven't been cared for in a similar way to people who are from a white majority background. So I accidentally discovered that I have PTSD and it's not something that you should be finding out accidentally. Mm. If you've ever watched a war film or um, something like Born in the Fourth of July or a film where a victim has been abused in some way, there's often images of flashbacks and mental distress and so on and so forth. And for that to happen over a 20 year period and not get picked up on, despite having countless interventions, I think is extremely racist and there's a lot of structural issues that we need to deal with so I originally started to do this work because I'd discovered some tools that would help me cope and I hadn't I hadn't known about them so I started off writing I started off writing automatically it wasn't called for it wasn't intended I hadn't planned to do it but it was a time of great anguish during a bereavement um, I found out at the time my father was terminally ill and he had about six weeks left. And 10 years prior to that, I'd, I'd had really traumatic experience whereby my um, sister had passed away, but it was in a sudden car accident. And she had a small child and a teenage, well, a baby in the car and a, and a, and a teenage boy next to her. And they were OK, but she died on site uh, on an impact and um, she was revived was in a coma and had several spinal breaks. So she would have been like a human vegetable had she survived. She had had multiple um, spinal injuries, which meant she would have been paralyzed and she was in a coma. So there was all sorts of complications that ensued from that, which meant that I ended up repressing my emotions in shock and I became deeply dissociated. So when it came to learning about writing for well-being which I became interested in after a breakdown I started to um, unpick my feelings about my father's imminent passing and what I'd what I'd started to do was keep a diary and reflect on my emotions because I felt like with this second bereavement it wasn't wasn't going to be an option for me to have the same grief reaction of repression, of dissociation, of denial. So I wanted to express, but in keeping a diary, it unlocked something. And that something was the writing muscle. 
So by doing a little bit of reflecting, I had done creative writing before, but it was really weak. I started writing fully formed poems that were really technical and way advanced from what I'd ever written before. And it it was like somebody had taken over my body, started using my hand and started writing this stuff that I had no idea how I'd done it because to be frank, it was really good. It was like really, really, I was like, how has this come out of me? But I think it was because the creativity and the emotions that I was experiencing at the time had taken me to the edge of my being. I was very scared of repressing and I was very scared of going back and regressing to a, a previous day. So with that tool, I encountered a kind of integration of what was happening around me. I processed what was happening around me and I started to understand myself better. And so I wanted to pass that gift on to other people. So I began to blog. I started a blog 10 years ago called Good Grief Kids. And um, it was just sharing how creativity could be a healing tool. And then as I started to do um, researching where I could study this, I discovered an MSc with Metanoia Institute, which is a counselling and psychotherapy institute that does writing for therapeutic purposes. So in that course, I discovered hip hop therapy, started to look it up for my thesis. And then I discovered that you could do music therapy, poetry therapy, narrative therapy, writing therapy kind of stuff with hip hop. Now, I'm not a therapist. I have counseling level one and two within my master's and I'm currently studying for a level three so I can practice as a counselor but the the courses I've studied have been really really keen to promote the creative act not clinical medicalization of the creative process so I sit in a position where I can kind of see how art therapy and movement therapy and drama therapy and music therapy is starting to get really medicalized and focused on clinical outcomes for the service provider. So the work I do focuses on the work that a ser- an individual can do, a service user can do. Now, I've been a service user for 20 years. I've had grief therapy. Grief therapy for trauma is like putting mustard on an ice cube and then sticking that in your um, Smirnoff, um, like your, your Russian mule the mustard just doesn't work in a cocktail, does it? So it's just pointless trying to do CBT therapy and grief therapy on somebody who's totally traumatized. Mm-hmm. So I just don't understand why in this country we have those things as treatments for something that's very clearly been researched and evidenced to not work. Um, and this is not coming from me. This is coming from the world's foremost expert in trauma research in the United States, Bessel van der Kolk. So mm. why are we still using mustard in our cocktails in this country? This doesn't make sense. And you've been doing, I think, I don't know whether you call them classes, but you've been getting groups of people together and trying to help them uh, come to terms with their own individual problems. Uh, how, how do you kind of prepare for that? Uh, because obviously every individual is different as well. So that's a bit of a challenge as well, isn't it? Well, if you treat a workshop like a garden, some plants thrive on soil, some plants need a boggy, peaty kind of uh, uh, 
area. Some need shade, some want a trellis. So the kind of work that I do isn't short term. It's not a quick fix. It would be a six to 10 week program um, or 12 weeks, ideally. And I would work with people to understand where they're at and what their needs are as we're working through the creative processes in the workshops. And then through that, I would decide what kind of elements I would use to stretch or to help to calm. And it's really about calming and exciting. That If I was to take it down into two words, it's calming yeah. and exciting. It's how you use those processes around creativity to um, help people and the way that I want to help people is that so they can do the work without me there. So they have some basic principles. They're not going to walk out as, being, you know, being medical, you know, therapists or whatever. I'm not. I've, I've just done for 20 years coping. And for the first, honestly, for the first 11 years, seven years, it was dreadful coping. It was harmful coping. It was not helpful coping. And then as I shifted to the awareness about how I could help myself, it became free. It was always medicine free. It was always tablet free. And it was always um, something that I could do for an immediate, you know, an immediate sort of sense of resolve. So these calming activities are around regulating hyper uh, vigilance about how to deal with um, chaotic nightmares, about how to deal with feeling um, like you're a bunch of leaves that has been blown by the wind. So what do you do in those moments? And these are the kinds of things that I take into real life situations and reflect on with the individuals around me. So because I've been unwell recently, I've actually stepped away from doing direct therapeutic work and I've been working more on the training side. So the classes that you might have seen um, are probably for my new training academy. So I realised that, you know, there's not very many people around the world that do hip hop therapy or trauma work around hip hop. So I have set up a trauma informed hip hop academy, which is all online. We just had the interim report back from an external evaluator about our first pilot course. And we got 9.4 out of 10 for wow. our, uh, would you recommend this course to others? So I'm incredibly pleased. And um, we're doing that course in, in partnership with Birmingham Centre for Arts Therapies. And it's funded by the Bering Foundation, who wanted to widen access to the arts and health profession for people from minority ethnic backgrounds. Because there's this idea that, you know, a lot of medical professionals, a lot of therapists, expressive therapists, arts therapists are from a white majority background. So they might not have the nuances or understanding of different cultural practices and behaviours that might help in the therapeutic journey. Uh, right, at the curve on um, at the end of this month, on the 26th of March, uh, you'll be on stage, so to speak. Uh, have you already planned what you're going to do? Is this a new thing for you or not? Yeah, the, um, the original brief I had was to use some techniques with music in a way that could be exciting, innovative, different. It's doing music differently. So I'll be working around songs from the hip hop genre and looking at some techniques you can use with narrative 
that people can pass on to their friends or to their loved ones, children and grandparents. If there's a everyday scenario in life where there's a little bit of tension or emotional distress or a little bit of steam that needs to be released, there's some creative techniques I'll be sharing that will help people to come to process and come to terms with these things. And they can be applied to different types of music. It doesn't have to always be hip-hop, but the, the founding principles of hip-hop are about knowledge of self. So with this comes awareness. Uh, with that awareness is a sense of your self. So once you get to know where your triggers are or where your um, weaknesses are in terms of things that will upset you, I think weakness is probably the wrong word, but where maybe vulnerabilities where you might be sensitive to things around you. Once you know where those are, if you have like a, a set of go-to things that you know you can pull out of the bag on a day where you experience them, it can help you to feel more stable and secure to go on into risky scenarios or challenging scenarios. So like if you're starting a new job or you're moving house or you know that there's um, a funeral coming up, if you have certain equipment you will be able to sort of protect yourself a little bit and give yourself some reinforcement before you go in and that's really what I want to do I want to take the lofty concepts the philosophical concepts and make them deliverable to an everyday lay person who might not have any psychological training or emotional awareness and if people are listening to this uh, ahead of time uh, and they want to find out more about what you do. There's a website they can go to. I'm sure you can tell us a bit about how to access that. Certainly can, John. Thank you for asking. So on our social media, we have Hip Hop Heels, H-E-A-L-S. And then it's got UK on the end because I found that there's actually a programme in America that deals with hip hop as well with a similar name. So Twitter, Instagram. Facebook, LinkedIn, Gmail, it's all Hip Hop Heels UK and the website is hiphopheelsuk.org and the podcast that you mentioned is called Glow With The Flow and the easiest way to find that is to go to www.hiphopheelsuk.org and then just add the forward slash podcast. So what we've done is we've asked people who are involved in using writing and rap for their own mental well-being how does it work what do you do so that these tools and techniques from everyday rappers and mcs can be passed on because you know i'm a i'm a middle-aged indian lady with a few gray hairs spouting up if i go around preaching certain messages of you know <laughs> rap and well i'm not a rapper i'm not an mc i don't I, you know i don't beatbox or breakdance i started djing recently so i thought the role models that the young people are listening to it'd be better to get them to share the public health message than little old me. <laughs> okay, well, thanks very much for talking to me. I look forward to meeting you on the day now and uh, just to see how, yeah. how it works. I shall pop in, definitely. Amazing. Well, I look thanks, forward to seeing you there. Thanks for the time. Cheers. Thank you so much, John. Bye. Take care. You've been listening to Sounds Of, a podcast created by Drum and Brass community interest company focusing on music for community well-being with safety, inclusivity and diversity at its core. Thank you for listening and if you've enjoyed this episode please subscribe and you'll hear about the next episode as soon as it drops. 
and do take a look around the Drum and Brass website drumandbrass.co.uk to find out about our many other projects. Our special thanks go to Kiz from Hip Hop Heels UK, to our funding partners Arts Council England, to our producer and presenter John Sinclair and to you for listening today. Drum and Brass, putting the community in music and doing music differently.